Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Radelnik. I'm professor of Jewish Studies and Bible and academic dean at Moody Bible Institute. And this is Moody Radio's Bible Study Across America. It's where we answer your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, give me a call. The phone number here, 877-548-3675. You can also post your question by going to openlineradio.org. That's our website. There's a link there that says, Ask Michael a Question. Click on that, fill out the form, and your question will be added to the mailbag. Before we go to the phones, I want to tell you about our current resource. I had a professor back in the day at Moody Bible Institute. And what he said was how Paul wrote the book of Romans. He said, Paul sat back in his chair, put his feet on his desk and said, take a letter. And then sent an extensive letter about the doctrine of redemption. That's what the book's about. And it is clear, it is well argued, it is well laid out. I think the problem sometimes is we have a little bit of a hard time. You know, in Second Peter, Peter wrote that Paul's letters are hard to understand. And I think Romans can be hard to understand. And one of the best ways to understand it is getting a good little commentary designed for everyday people. Uh, Moody Publishers has a commentary by Alan Johnson on Romans. It's in the Everyday Bible Commentary series. I think you would just find it really helpful. And that's why I've chosen it as our current resource, because it's such an important book. And this commentary is so helpful. In fact, I've used it extensively through the years. And so I just wanted to recommend that you get this book, and it's yours if you give a gift of any size to Open Line. Uh, we just want to say thanks for your generosity, and we want to send you a copy of Alan Johnson's Commentary on Romans in the Everyday Bible Commentary series. Now, I have to say this. This is kind of funny. People have said, oh, you can't, you know, this, obviously many different radio programs offer a gift like this as a thank you for giving a gift to that program. And they say, well, no one's going to want that. A commentary? Well, they don't know the open line listeners. I listen to you guys, and I see what you do, and you love the Bible. And that's what I, I thought. This would be a perfect resource for you because it will help you understand the Bible better. And it's written at, at the in the way that I can understand it, so I know it's written in a way that you can understand it too. So I just want to really encourage you, get a copy of this, and we can say, uh, by giving a gift of any size, the way to do that is call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And remember, when you give... Ask for Alan Johnson's Everyday Bible Commentary on Romans. We're going to go right to the phones right now, and we're going to talk to Richard in, let's see if I can say this right, Pequot Lakes, Minnesota, listening on KCFB. Did I say the name of your town correctly? That's correct. That's the name of a Native American tribe in, on the East Coast. But uh, somehow we got it here for one of our lakes. Well, you've got so many lakes. It's the land of 10,000 lakes, so, right? So, we ran got, out of got names, to, yeah. Yeah, you're running out of names. you got to pick something, right? Right. Yeah. How can hey, I help Dr. you? Dr. Wilnick, I, um, I, we had a Bible study, a small group Bible study this last week, and 
the uh, topic of uh, the sacrifices of Cain and Abel came up, and and one of the theories was um, that uh, because it was not a blood sacrifice, that God did not regard Cain's uh, uh, his sacrifice, uh, whereas Abel's was. But I I had never heard that before. I had always thought that it was um, Abel's firstborn or first kind of related to the earlier question you had, but mm-hmm. it was um, the, what does it say in four, Genesis 4-4, four, four, um, firstborn of his flock. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. But um, I always thought that that was the reason. Well, um, and it really doesn't say why he, re- he just said. So, kinda, so you're a- let me see. You're asking why was Cain's uh, sacrifice rejected? And why was right. Abel's accepted? That's the question? Exactly. Okay. Well, a lot of people say it's because of the blood sacrifice of, of, of Abel versus the uh, uh, agricultural, the produce of the land. But, you know, they're grain offerings in the later sacrificial system that's established by Moses. So it doesn't seem to me that that is the essence of the issue. I think the key is in verse 3. It says, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. So he's just like, let's see, what can I spare here? Oh, this is uh, this is no good anyway, so I'm going to give that as my sacrifice because this way I won't have to eat it anyway. And then on the other hand, Abel goes and he presents an offering and it's the firstborn of his flock. He takes the top of the, the, the firstborn, the very first offering he can give, and their fat portions. He takes the best of it. Uh, and so it has to do with an attitude, an attitude of sacrifice before God. It seems to me that Cain was offering what he could spare, and Abel was offering the best and first. And that's the difference. Uh, one had a, the right attitude in sacrifice, uh, that was that was Abel, and Cain had a, a bad attitude in sacrifice, which I'm not surprised about because he has a terrible attitude about his brother afterwards and leads him to become the first murderer. So that's what I think the issue is. You know, it makes me think about how we offer to the Lord, how we give to the Lord. You know, I think we should give off the top. In my opinion, when we give, uh, we, we get paid and we give our offerings to the Lord, those are the first bills we should pay. we should pay. We give off the top. Uh, we we give sacrificially and generously. That's how we should give, because that's the model we have with Abel. That's what I think it should be. Uh, we probably are not uh, going to give produce from the land or uh, the flocks. Uh, we don't have a very agricultural society, but when we give monetarily, that's how we should give generously and sacrificially and off the top. Okay, Richard? Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for your call. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak with Jane in Chattanooga, Tennessee, listening on WMBW. Welcome to Open Line, Jane. How can I help you? Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Adelic. I love you so much, my brother. And uh, the Lord led me to Luke 958, and um, I, I know uh, some of the some of the things in the Gospels about my question, uh, for instance, in John 1, um, 
where uh, right before uh, John uh, one chapter uh, verse thirty nine, uh, Jesus said, "Come and see where I'm staying." And um, in Luke eight, it says that some of the some of the um, women who were following Jesus provided him. Um, uh, sustenance and and ministry and and things like that and and the place where the the um, paralytic was let down through the roof it says in one of the gospels that that was Jesus' house. So my question. Well, actually, is, where the paralytic was let down, I I, the, I don't recall it saying it was Jesus' home. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I I, I know the other passage oh. you're talking about. So okay, go yeah. ahead. So it says, and Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So in light of the the passages that I mentioned, I wondered if you had a, an insight about what this might have meant. Well, I, as you said, the, many of the places where the Lord Jesus was staying was as a guest in other people's homes. It's not like he had... Uh, property that he owned himself. He was staying with people. Uh, so he didn't have a hole that was his own. He didn't have a nest or a home that was his own. Rather, what it's saying, uh, he didn't have a home of his own. Uh, what he had was uh, that he was operating as a guest in the homes of other people. That's what it's talking about. Uh, it's it's sort of like... Uh, uh, when I've had this happen, uh, there, there were some students that, uh, came back to Chicago and they just got married and they didn't have a place to stay and they were getting ready to go overseas. And they just said, can, can we just live here? Uh, and of course, uh, my wife and I had them live with us. Uh, it's not like this was their own home. It, it's my home, you know? <laughs> But but they came and lived here uh, because we love them and 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 there were people who loved Jesus and provided a place for him to stay. But uh, they didn't have the title deed, uh, just as Jesus didn't have the title deed in these places. That's what it's talking about. Okay. Well, that and that speaks of Jesus lives in us now, and His home is—he's already gone back to His home in heaven, and He invites us to come and see, uh, you know, at the rapture, and you know, and that, mm-hmm. and um, and that, yeah. you know, to come to heaven well, with the, Him. Isn't that it's amazing so that the the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory? So He lives in us by His Spirit. I'm grateful for that. Uh, Anyway, thank you so much for your call. We're going to go on and talk with uh, Rick in Leesburg, Florida, listening to WKES. Welcome to Open Line, Rick. How can I help you? Yes, good morning, Dr. Rodelnik. Uh, I, I had a question regarding the, uh, well, that horrible act of, uh, oh, whatever you want to call it, that happened back on uh, terror. the 7th Terror, terror, call it. Terror. It, it terror. definitely, definitely was terrorist. But, uh, okay, how do we uh, go back to uh, when Sarah kicked uh, Hagar out and she founded the Arab nation from that? And then we've got ISIS, Hezbollah, Hamas. They all seem to be, you know, pretty much one and the same, although they're different names. And uh, how does all this fit in with how how did this hatred come about for the Jewish nation? Well, first of all, let me just say there's no place in the Bible 
where it says that Hagar or Ishmael is the father of the Arabs. Did you know that? Rick? Okay. Uh, uh, so how did the Arab nation come about then? Uh, they lived in Arabia. They're part of the nations. But uh, I think it's really important that we recognize uh, that this whole idea of Ishmael being the father of the Arabs is not from Scripture. Do you know where it comes from? No, no. This is interesting. Yeah, it's not from—you learned it in Sunday school, but uh, back then your Sunday school teacher got it wrong. Uh, really what it is is it came from the Quran. About 2,700 years after Ishmael, the Quran was written and adopted the idea that Ishmael was the chosen son and he was the father of the Arab peoples. It was a way of taking the promises away from the Jewish people and saying, who are the descendants of Isaac and Jacob, and saying, oh, no, no, we had the promises and Ishmael's our father, and they made it up. It's just a made-up thing. doesn't come from Scripture. Uh, it says that he settled in uh, Genesis 21. Uh, speaking of Ishmael, it says he settled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother, which is right by Egypt, and his wife got, and his mother got a wife from him from the land of Egypt because he was just outside of Egypt, and that's where he got his family from. Uh, he didn't go to Arabia, and though he had did have tribes that came from him, uh, it does not say. It says he settled in Havilah to Shur. That's where his descendants went from, uh, which is opposite to Egypt as you go towards Ashur. So it's right outside of Egypt as you head north up to Assyria. Uh, so he, that's where they were. They were in the Sinai Peninsula, and that's where they're from. Uh, and, then he, and the 12 tribes did come indeed from him, just as God promised. So there were 12 sort of uh, wilderness tribes that came from him. So uh, when, I, when I look at this situation, I don't want to blame the Bible for it uh, uh, or blame Abram for it. So that's that's what's well, that's what we're talking about. I hope that helps, Rick. Uh, we're going to take a break here. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll we'll take more of your calls. Uh, you're listening to Open Line with Michael Wright Helmick. The number here eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. Give me a call. We'll take we'll talk about your questions and study the Bible together. Stay right there. I'm coming right back. Welcome back to Open Line. So grateful for your listening, calling, talking with me about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. My name is Michael Rydelnik, and I'm so glad to be with you every Saturday. Uh, next week, by the way, I won't be with you, but my friend and one of my favorite pastors in America will be joining you. His name is Mike Fabares. He's on the Board of Trustees of Moody Bible Institute. He's on the radio program on Moody Radio called Focal Point. 
and uh, he just is wonderful about answering Bible questions. So stay tuned next week while I'm away to listen for Mike Fabares. Uh, you know, there, there's something I wanted to mention about becoming a kitchen table partner. Being, being a kitchen table partner is something I so appreciate because it helps Moody uh, to kind of plan and uh, it means giving a gift on a monthly basis, an auto gift or just a regular gift to, to Moody. It's making a pledge to give to OpenLine every month. It makes you a kitchen table partner. And my friend William Washington, who's the, the dean of student life at Moody Bible Institute, gave a challenge just a few weeks ago to see if we can go from about 500 kitchen table partners, I think it was 538 at the time that he asked, and now we have 603, and he's, his challenge was, can we get to 1,000 by the end of the, not the end of this year, but by next year at the same time, after, at the summertime, by, by July, so to speak. And I think we are doing wonderfully. You guys are so generous and so, so grateful that you have responded this way. People have asked me, how much should we give? And I always say, if it were up to me, uh, I would give... $30 a month. And uh, let's say, well, why 30 Michael? Because that opens the door. If you do a $30 auto gift, the result will be that you can go to the Moody Publishers catalog and get any book, any Bible that's in the catalog for 50% off. It's a great deal. And so this way you're contributing uh, to this Bible study across America and getting great biblical resources for your own understanding of Scripture. I think it's a great, great way of doing it. But anyway, uh, also I'll send you a Bible study moment every other week. It's a special Bible study designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. You get an email, you click on it, and you hear it, and it's a, a lot of fun uh, as we go through the Scriptures. If you'd like to become a kitchen table partner, what you have to do is call 888 644 that's 888-644-7122, or you can sign up online by going to openlineradio.org. And we're going to speak with Carla in Chicago, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Carla. How can I help you? Hey, Michael. Good morning. Um, so we are heartbroken of the war that's going on right now, um, just terrible mm-hmm. terrorism and so on. Um However, looking at the Old Testament, we see a chronic of Israel's repeated failure to obey God. Um, it's refusal to keep his commandments and statutes, and God using other countries to punish Israel. Therefore, my question is, is Israel now being punished for this sin as it happened in the past, or it has nothing to do with the Old Testament prophecies, as, um, for instance, the state in Amos 9-8, where Amos warned Israel, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful, sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Well, well, you know what? I think one of the real mistakes that we can make right now mm-hmm. is when we see the anti-Semitism exploding in the world, right? And then we see the, uh, the, the hatred of Israel as a nation not just by Hamas, but really across the globe. I think that it's a mistake to blame it on Israel. Uh, the, 
to say that the hated is, and that's what the Nazis did as well. They said, oh, you know, you got to figure out why it is that everyone hates the Jewish people. It's because how bad they are. Uh, frankly, the Jewish people are no worse than other people. Uh, I think that's a mistake. There are times when the Bible explicitly says that God was going to discipline his people like this. But no, I think, I think we're going far beyond that which is written when we want to say that uh, this happened because uh, Israel somehow brought it on themselves. I, th- I think that's a serious mistake. I see our next caller. I'm not going to pick up, Marie, but if you're listening in, that's a similar question that you have. Uh, I see the next question is, Israel at war because of their sin? No, the answer is Israel is at war because of the sin of Hamas. That's why Israel is at war. Uh, they are behaving as servants of God, protecting their people, the way Romans 13.4 puts it. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that, the, that the Israel knows the Lord Jesus. Uh, for the most part, they don't. But nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, it's because of the sin of Hamas that Israel is at war, and it's a mistake to blame Israel. But I will say this. Uh, this is a true of individuals who are suffering now because of the war. Psalm 120, verse 1, says this, In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Psalm 120, verse 1. So I'm praying that this distress that Israel is under, and I'm even praying that the distress that so many Palestinians are under as they're trying to get away from a Hamas uh, who's keeping them there in northern Gaza, uh, I'm praying that this distress will cause them to seek the Lord and come to know the Lord uh, by trusting in the Lord Jesus. But uh, no, I don't think it's right to blame Israel for it. Okay, Carla? Uh, that's not what I said. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just asking a question because obviously I have no idea. I read the Bible and I just want to know um, because you are an yeah. expert. Yeah, what, what, you what I, what, I have nobody to ask. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm not mad. I'm just saying that we shouldn't do it. <laughs> Uh, we, we, you know, there in the Bible it says specifically when God does it. Now, generally speaking, I, I think it's really important that we see it's this, not the sin of Israel, but the sin of Hamas that caused it. Okay. Thanks so much for your call, Carla. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak with Marty in Canton, Ohio, listening on WCRF. Hey, Marty. Hi, Michael. Thanks for the call. Hey, mm-hmm. so I get what you're saying about Israel has the right to defend itself and to punish those who committed these terrible atrocities. At what point is there overkill? When do you know that, hey, this this is enough, okay? They've been punished. How do you, if it's eradicating Hamas, which is an ideology, you know, are we going to obliterate every single person who might have that ideology? I mean, you know, here I am in the United States. I don't really understand military tactics at all or whatever, but, um, you know, we are supposed to, have our hearts broken by the things that break the heart of God. And I can't help but think that his heart is broken over this for both sides. Yeah, I, th- I think God's heart is broken. I think he's especially heartbroken over the way Hamas has treated its own people, uh, not letting them get away. I, I agree with you about that. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, this sounds like, to me, the war... Uh, as if you're saying that Israel is being disproportionate in its response. Is that what, what I hear you saying? Uh, no, I'm just saying, how do, how do you, we tell when enough is enough? 
Well, that's what I'm, I'm hearing from what I'm hearing you say is you think that enough is enough already, right? No, I'm questioning when I'm questioning, okay. and I'm also okay. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna t- uh, do a little bit of uh, just war and uh, the Geneva Con- Convention with you now. Okay, this is not a biblical answer. This is what the Bible, I think, what what we we know not what the Bible says, but what the Geneva Convention says. There's a law of proportionality, and the law the law of proportionality is uh, military actions must uh, be proportionate to the military objective. Uh, secondly, it must be targeting military uh, objectives. And uh, so just like we were demanding unconditional surrender from Nazi Germany, so Israel is demanding unconditional surrender from Hamas. And enough won't be enough until either they surrender or all their tunnels are destroyed and all their war-making ability is taken away. And that's when enough is enough. So enough will be enough when they surrender unconditionally, just like the United States demanded of Germany in World War II. Or, and, and there was terrible suffering, by the way, in World War II. Or when Israel uh, fulfills its military objective of destroying Hamas's war-making ability. Okay? It sounds harsh, but that's what that's what it is. Okay? Thanks so much for your call, Marty. I hope that helps, and our hearts are indeed broken. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back to Open Line with me, Michael Rydelnik. Trisha McMillan will join me in just a moment. But before she does, bringing the mailbag in, before she brings the mailbag in, I want to just say how grateful I am for the Far East Broadcasting Company and the FEBC mailbag. FEBC is partnering with Moody Radio to bring you Open Line. You can get a deeper perspective on how the gospel is advancing in the world's most unreached countries through the weekly podcast called Until All Have Heard with Ed Cannon. All the details for this program and much more about FEBC's extensive outreach can be found at febc.org. I'd love for you to go to febc.org and see all that's there. I think you'll be really encouraged. Well, Tricia... Yes. Uh, we've got the mailbag, but you've got a question even outside of the mailbag, right? I do. Someone called in and was unable to hold on. Um, mm. Mary is in Florida, and her dad passed away yesterday. Um, he was a believer, um, and she wanted to know, because believers have the Holy Spirit, Does the wh- what happens to the Holy Spirit when, when a believer dies? Does the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. go up to heaven with them? Well, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry. Uh, to Mary, I'm sure it was. It's hard when you lose your dad, even if he was aged. I think he was, but nevertheless, it's it's really really hard. Even knowing they've gone to the Lord, you know, the Bible says we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but we do grieve as those who do have hope. But we do grieve, and so Mary, just so you know, we care and we're sorry, uh, and and we please accept our sympathy, and then. Uh, 
Secondly, in John 16, I've heard people say this. Uh, I think it's John 16. I'm going to look it up. Uh, in the upper room discourse, at least. Uh, it says that the Holy Spirit will be with you. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will be with you. Oh, it's John 14, uh, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another parakletos. That's a counselor or uh, one call decide to help. It's a word for the Holy Spirit to be with you ever. He is the Spirit of Truth. And they say, well, he'll be with you forever. So that means when we die, the Holy Spirit still indwells us when we go to be with the Lord. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a story uh, about what happens when a person who's at seven, he's been a, uh, a, I guess, a, a Hebrew slave. It's more like an indentured servant for six years. Then in the seventh year, he's to leave a free man. But if he decides he wants to stay, uh, his master brings him to the doorpost. Do you know this story, Tricia? Brings him to the doorpost and the, and the judges, and uh, they, he gives him an earring, mm-hmm. pierces his ear, and he then it says uh, he will serve his master forever. Well, does that mean when he dies that he still serves, that he's still the servant of his master? No, it means for his lifespan. And I think the same thing when it says in John fourteen sixteen that the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. It means for the, our lifespan, uh, till we go to be with the Lord. I, I don't think if we're in the presence of God that we need the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, also, the Bible says when we see the Lord Jesus, we will be like him. So... We won't need the Holy Spirit to empower us to deal with sin uh, because we will be confirmed in righteousness at that time. So I don't think that the Holy Spirit goes with us and dwells us into the presence of the Father. Now, let me just say this. This is just my opinion. Uh, I, I Sometimes if I have a really clear verse, I'll say this is what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say where the Holy Spirit indwells us for, forever in heaven or uh, or not. So I'm just giving you my opinion. Okay. Is, okay. Um, mm-hmm. Is the Holy Spirit in heaven? Yeah, you see him in Revelation. That every time in the book of Revelation where it talks about the seven spirits of God or the seven endowments of the Spirit, uh, that's the Holy Spirit in heaven. And uh, the seven endowments, I think, go back to uh, Isaiah 11, where seven times when it talks about the Messiah... It talks about how he is endowed with the Spirit seven ways. That's what the seven spirits are in the book of Revelation. But yeah, there the Holy Spirit is present in heaven. Okay. So many of our, or at least my um, perception of how spirit, <laughs> how spirit works are so tied to um, cartoons or, <laughs> or, you know, or movies. Like I, it's very hard for me to wrap my mind around how so, how it could be how the Holy Spirit can be in you and in me and in in Mary's dad and in Mary and and all of these and in heaven all at the same time and not yeah. be part of not be part of a spirit or yeah. you know and it's it's can I heavy. can I just say yeah. <laughs> don't try don't try to understand okay that uh, that's that's what I, there are so many things that we can't understand and we uh, waste our time and energy trying to understand things that we can't. So I, I, I'm i the ultimate pragmatist when it comes to spiritual living. Let me focus on what I can understand and do. And 
and allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life as best I can. You know, with you know, I really believe in the hundred percent God, hundred percent man uh, work of sanctification, meaning that the Holy Spirit works. I also have to be engaged in the process. I think His hundred percent is a whole lot better than my hundred mm-hmm. percent. But I need I need to do the hundred percent of what I need, and I don't have to worry about things I can't understand. Okay. So. There, that's a that's a that's a man's kind of answer, isn't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, and yeah. and our prayers go out for you, Mary, as you deal yeah. with the grief of losing your dad, um, mm-hmm. and rejoice that he is with the Savior with the now. Yeah. yeah. Um, our next question is from Lori in Ohio. She and her husband have been trying to. <laughs> Another one of these trying to understand things. Um, if we die before the rapture, do we stay in the ground and rest, or are we with Jesus? And then once the rapture happens, are those believers who have died and they meet their they meet their resurrected bodies in the air? So where, yeah. how does that work? Okay. Well, how does it work? I don't know. <laughs> Not how uh, it works. Can you explain okay. this scientifically to me uh, now? Uh, yeah. Um, Here's what it says in First Thessalonians four thirteen. By the way, it's really clear. Second Corinthians five nine, absent from the body, present with the Lord. For uh, Philippians one, it talk, Paul talks about that he w- he wants to die and go to be with the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think clearly our immaterial part goes to be with the Lord when we die. Uh, I think I think that's pretty accurate, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's it say? When it talks about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, here's one of the things that it says. Since we believe, this is verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again in the same way. Now, this is a lot of people miss this, but I want you to notice it in verse 14. God will bring with him, that's with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. So what's it saying? When the Lord Jesus descends, who comes with him? All of those who died before. Exactly. Those who know him. uh, He will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in or through Jesus. Right? So believers who have died from the body of Christ will descend with him. I think that's... A lot of people miss that. That's why they... Obviously, they are cognizant. They are present with him in heaven from the moment that they died up until this return. And then it says... At that same moment, the Lord himself will descend, remember, with those who have fallen asleep through him or died. Uh, He will descend from heaven with a shout and with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So their bodies will be resurrected and meet their bodies in the air. And, of course, those who uh, have not died will be translated into his presence immediately. So that's what happens. Okay. Okay. I hope that helps you, Lori, you and Tony, as you and how it works. I don't know. This, right, right. It seems that would be quite a sight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just just picturing that um, seems very unreal and amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Our next question is from Stephen in Idaho. Listens to KMBI. We're going to Luke. To the Transfiguration in Luke 9. And he wants to know, verse 32. um, 
Okay, you're turning there. I am turning I'm, there. Who can get there first? It's a sword drill. Uh, there know, you go. I'm failing. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. He wants to know, what is the significance that it mentions that they were sleepy? That they're very sleepy or heavy with sleep. Um, and why is that sleep sleepiness not mentioned in the other Gospels? I don't know why it's not mentioned in the other Gospels. Luke uh, obviously did some interviews. I bet he interviewed Peter, James, and John, right? Mm-hmm. Right, because uh, he says that, um, he says, I've talked with many yeah. of the people that this happens to and got yeah. firsthand accounts, yeah. Yeah, and so it seems to me that what they're saying is, you know what, we made this long trek. We climbed uh, Mount Hermon, and we were so tired but all of a sudden, this thing happens. Boy, that got our attention. Right. Uh, that no matter how tired you are, when all of a sudden Elijah and Moses show up and they're talking to Jesus, you think, okay, I- I'm awake now. I think right. That's what it's saying. Yeah. Right. So, more the significance of the um, um, awakeness. Yeah. The and how much it, Yeah. Of how yeah. much it woke them up. Because, yeah. and, and I think there's there are aspects of of Luke's writings that give you a personal, probably because it is interviews, but it gives you more of a personal insight sometimes with, Mm -hmm. actually with all of the gospel authors, they'll put Mm -hmm. in these just a phrase, you know, periodically Mm -hmm. of this unique detail that makes it seem more real. Like, Mm -hmm. by the way, remember this is the middle of the night. We were really sleepy. Like, you know, you hit that three. If anyone has ever stayed up all night, you hit like that 2.30, 3 a.m. Yeah. moment of the hour where you're like, nope, can't yeah. keep my eyes open. And then all of a sudden something happens mm-hmm. and you're, and you're awake. awake. And and I got to tell you, the transfiguration would really wake you up. Yes, yes, so, it would. Yeah. So uh, now that's the same thing. You know, there's little details. John says when Judas goes out to betray the Lord, he says, and it was night. I mean, darkness mm-hmm. had fallen. Mm-hmm. So those little details are really helpful. Anyway, thanks so much for those questions. You can always go to openlineradio.org and click on Ask Michael a Question. I'll be right back with more of your calls in just a moment. This is Michael Rydelnik and Trisha McMillan. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik. So glad that you have been with me these two hours. I love studying the Bible with you. Uh, You know, the... Israel, the land and the people is a wonderful book. It's filled with some of the best photos of Israel anywhere. Uh, It is a coffee table book presenting the beauty, the history, the culture, and the variety of the land from snow-capped Mount Hermon, which I just talked about. I think that's where the Mount of Transfiguration is, not the traditional site, to the fortress of Masada in the Negev Desert by the wilderness of Judea. Uh, Whether it's ancient Jerusalem, modern Tel Aviv. There's so much there, and there's so many people there. Israel is uh, close to 7 million Jewish people, about 2 million Arab people of Arab descent, uh, and it is a thriving, bouncy, kind of cantankerous democracy, but it is a democracy, and it is a great way to see about it now that Israel is at war. I think you'd like a copy of this free photo book. And it's a gift through Chosen People Ministries who partners with OpenLine to help bring you OpenLine. And I'm so grateful 
for Chosen People Ministries and their work right now in Israel, uh, doing relief for many of the people who have been displaced by the war. So uh, here's the thing. If you would like a copy of Israel, the land of the people, to help you pray for Israel and its, and her people, the best way to get it is just go to openlineradio.org. Openlineradio.org. That's our website. Scroll down. You'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own copy of Israel, the land, and the people. And we are going to talk next with Stephen in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, listening on WCRF. Hey, Stephen, how can I help you? Uh, great. Uh, thanks for answering my question, Dr. Radelnik. I appreciate it. Um, some, a friend of mine who attends a Russian Orthodox Church said that to repent and have be with the Spirit, uh, he said you should be following the apostolic canons of the Church itself. And I said, is that biblical? Because I don't know who wrote that. I don't think the apostles did. Can you give me some information on that? Uh, the canons, uh, the apostolic canons, are a collection of ecclesiastical or church laws. Uh, yeah, they're attributed to a sixth or seventh century pope named Pope. I think I think it was the sixth or seventh century. Uh, uh-huh. Clement, Pope Clement, uh, and or maybe he's a little earlier. I don't know if he was really the pope, but anyway, uh, it is. They're just some ecclesiastical rules. And they really so they're real, basically not. they're letters for the church or something because they're not letters they're 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 laws, not letters but laws. Does that apply to our uh, our salvation and so forth or uh, anything like that? Well, I I think that uh, it'd be best for us to understand the scriptures. You know, remember the mm-hmm. uh, the Reformation. I think they got it where they said right. sola, sola scriptura, scripture, only scripture. And, you know, I, I think that there may be wisdom in some of those canons. I don't know much about them, but I, I do think that we should be careful to obey the scriptures, and that's where I would I would focus. Okay? I appreciate it. Because he was telling me that, there's, that they have a, they should, you should repent and be baptized of water and spirit according to the order. Yeah, yeah you know what? I... I Here's the thing: you should uh, you should focus on the scriptures and don't worry about those. Okay. Yeah, Thanks for your call. It. Thank you. God bless yeah. you. Okay, we're gonna talk to Sam in Cleveland, uh, listening on WCRF. How can I help you, Sam? Hi, Michael. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, so my wife and I have been um, going through a little bit of a difficult situation uh, the last couple years. Um, her father is. Um, not a Christian, um, but is kind of emotionally abusive and toxic. Um, and one of the things that's kind of come out in the last year or so is uh, he'll use his knowledge of Scripture, which is limited to like the Ten Commandments, essentially, um, and say, well, the Bible says you're supposed to honor your parents, and you're not honoring me by X, Y, and Z, and you're not being a good Christian. Um, so we're just we're trying to figure out how to approach this from a, you know, a Christ-like perspective, um, where we're not, you know, giving in to the toxicity and allowing ourselves to be emotionally manipulated, but we are following what the Bible says about honoring your parents and loving your parents and respecting uh, your elders. So we're just kind of wondering um, what your take is on that. Uh, Well, 
seems to me that we, honoring your parents doesn't mean doing everything that they want. Uh, when I look at what the Lord Jesus says about dealing with adult parents, he was talking about being concerned for their well-being uh, and financially, you know, caring for them as they got older. Remember in, uh, in the book of Matthew, I'm trying to remember what chapter, it's Mark 7 and then in um, Matthew 15, uh, it, it talks about, you know, you say you honor your parents, but you disavow that by saying everything I have is devoted to God and I can't help you. You know, so he obviously seemed to think that one of the ways we honor our parents is by making sure that they're cared for. Uh, on, on the other hand, I think that we can't allow them to abuse us. I think it's really important uh, to be careful about that. I would recommend reading a book by uh, Henry Cloud on boundaries. Henry Cloud and uh, uh, on uh, I, I forget the name of the book, but it's about ba- John Townsend and and Henry Cloud wrote a book on boundaries. That's what it's called, and I would recommend that 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 would be something that you could read that can give you some guidance about how to be respectful without. And it's it's I mean this book has uh, sold millions of copies. It's very very helpful. They're both uh, Christian psychologists. They will give you a good deal of help in understanding uh, what the uh, what you should, how you should handle this situation. Okay, so you know, gotcha. I'm not a, I'm not a, a therapist by any means. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I know that book could give you some help. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Well, I think I think we're too close to. Uh, we can't take another call. I do want to remind you that next week. Uh, I'll be out, but you're going to have a great time with Mike Fabares. Uh, he's a great person to uh, ask your questions of, and uh, you're going to have a blast with him. Uh, I love him, and I love it when he subs for me. So uh, enjoy next week. That's the program for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone, and especially those of you who called or sent in questions. Thanks for making Open Line possible. I'm grateful today for Open Line's team. Trisha McMillan for producing Lori Francis and Courtney Young being here in her last week as our engineer. We love you, Courtney. We're going to miss you on Saturdays. Keep in touch with Open Line during the week by going to our webpage, openlineradio.org. That page is everything you're looking for, including links to our current resource and how to become a kitchen table partner. Keep reading the Bible and talk about it with Mike next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Have a great week.